The first reading is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, and can be found on page 230 in the New Testament section of the Bible. If you invoke as father the one who judges impartially according to each person's work, live in fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile conduct inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like gold or silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your trust and hope are in God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual affection, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. It can be found on page 86, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Alleluia, alleluia. I am the first and the last, says the Lord, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. The walk to Emmaus. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these, de- since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb 
and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May thoughts and words be to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please do sit. You'll excuse me if I have to take some sips of water, but I'm just recovering uh, from a cough, which of course, because I'm a man, it's extremely painful and the worst ever that's been experienced. Just before he was to start his sermon, a very long-serving and getting-on-in-years vicar, you might recognise, was seen to be looking anxiously around the congregation. His warden whispered to him, What's the problem, vicar? Is there someone here who's heard the sermon before? No, he replied. I was looking to see if there's anybody who hasn't heard it before. (laughs) I know what he meant, because at Easter, it's almost certain you've all heard a sermon based on what happened on the road to Emmaus. I've certainly heard very many. But it's a story worth repeating again and again because it's at the very heart of the Gospel. It highlights the living hope found only in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's think of these two as they set out on that seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Three brief-ish points. First, it was a heartbreaking experience. 
Have you ever noticed that some of the saddest words in our language begin with the letter D? Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, despair, death. All of these are summed up in the words of Cleopas and his companion to the stranger who joined them on the Emmaus Road. They had left the dispirited and confused disciples with the awful events of Good Friday fresh in their memories. The master they had revered, loved and followed had been horribly put to death, a cruel death of the most degrading kind. Death by crucifixion was the most shameful of deaths. The victim was made a public spectacle, exposed to the jeers of all who passed by. Only a week before, on Palm Sunday, the disciples' hopes had risen to fever pitch when the excited crowds had hailed their master as the longed-for deliverer from the tyranny of Rome. But now, he lay dead in a sealed tomb. Their hopes were dashed. The dream was over. The disciples were now leaderless and falling apart, with these two already on their way home. The reports that Christ's tomb was empty did nothing to alter their thinking. It only confused them. Their entire world had fallen apart. The two despondent disciples summed up the situation very neatly. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Human hope is a fragile thing. And when it withers, it's difficult to revive. Hopelessness as a disease of the human spirit is desperately hard to cure. When, for example, you see someone you love and care for overtaken by illness, which goes on and on, despair sets in. It almost becomes impossible to hope for recovery, to even be afraid to hope because of not being able to cope with yet another disappointment. The Emmaus too had erected a wall of hopelessness around them and they were trapped in their misery. We had hoped. What they were saying is, we don't expect it now, but once we did. We had it, this thing called hope, but now it's gone. I wonder if this is something that we can identify with. Has something or someone come between us and our ongoing walk with God? If so, listen to the Emmaus story again, because the heartbreaking experience is only its beginning. As the travellers made their way to Emmaus, a stranger fell alongside them. It was going to be one of the most wonderful walks in history. We know, of course, that this was the risen Jesus, but somehow they didn't recognize him. In fact, Luke tells us they were kept from recognizing him. It wasn't an accident that they didn't notice who he is or that they were too preoccupied to look at him closely. No, they weren't allowed to recognize Jesus for a purpose. Perhaps it was so that they might be in the same position as we ourselves are some 2,000 plus years later. 
the stranger asked them, what are you discussing, discussing together as you walk along? And so they poured out their sad story to someone who seemed so willing to listen. How wonderfully kind and compassionate our Lord is. He could well have ticked them off, to say the least, for their lack of faith in him. Hadn't he told them that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. But no, Jesus doesn't berate them, but rather, as one old Bible commentator put it so movingly, in his infinite, infinite courtesy, Jesus remembered the frailty of overstrained nerves and bewildered minds and came not too suddenly or overwhelmingly upon them, but in a way which he alone could do and revealed himself as the risen Christ. It's then that the heartbreaking experience changes to, secondly, a heart-searching experience. Cleopas expressed surprise at even being asked what was worrying them. Are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? There seems to be a note of incredulity in his voice. But Jesus continues patiently and innocently asks, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they eagerly replied. The two Emmaus-bound disciples were correct in their theology as far as it went. They told the stranger that this Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He was. Notice the use of the past tense, which strongly implies that he wasn't relevant to the present, or otherwise they wouldn't have been in their present downcast state of mind. Their experience of Jesus was in the past, and they thought they were alone. The cross had taken him from them, and their minds hadn't made sense of the changed situation or adjusted to it. The cross was just a great negative to them. As the two disciples spoke of the cross, he took hold of their bewilderment and sorrow and gave them a heartening experience How did he do it? He pointed them to God's self-revelation in the scriptures. Luke tells us, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus must have given the Emmaus travelers the greatest Old Testament exposition in history and to a congregation of just two. It was then that the jigsaw of the types, shadows and symbols of the Old Testament revelation began to come together. He would have reminded them that right back at the beginning of time, the apparently victorious Satan was one day to be defeated. And they heard the story of the cosmic struggle between death and life, of the pattern of death and resurrection in the Old Testament revelation. It's clearly visible in the life of Abraham, willing to sacrifice his dear and only son Isaac, 
and getting him back again. Of Joseph, preserved to become the benefactor of his brothers who tried to destroy him. Of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt after having been saved from the angel of death through the sign of the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus would have recalled his own teaching of how the Israelites escaped physical death in the wilderness from a plague of serpents when they looked trustingly to a great bronze serpent which Moses raised on a pole, pointing out that he too would be lifted up on the cross. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus would have surely taken the now speechless disciples through the suffering servant passages of Isaiah. He would have recounted how the nation of Israel, taken into exile, had brought back again, had been brought back again to rebuild Jerusalem. And it was a symbol of the greater redemption of salvation through him. What they saw was proof that Jesus had fulfilled that which had been prophesied over the centuries, that these Old Testament anticipations of his passion and triumph of life over death showed that he was indeed Messiah. The two disciples couldn't have expected that sharing their problem with the stranger on the Emmaus Road brought them towards a revelation. But there was more to it than that. Christ wasn't there beside them simply to help them to find solutions. He was in the problem that humankind was itself. Jesus told his listeners, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? The problem for these disciples was how to make sense of the cross, how to accept it. Jesus helped them to do that, showing them that the cross itself was the creative act of God. The Apostle Paul would later write, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. The cross of shame and suffering had become the cross of redemption for all who would come to Christ in repentance and faith. When Jesus intrudes our lives, probing our thoughts, it is for the purpose of blessing us. How do we respond? Do we, like the disciples from Emmaus, welcome his initiative and let him minister to us? Do we want him to keep talking and explaining what previously baffled us? Sometimes the things he reveals are uncomfortable as he encroaches into our conscience and invades the private areas of our lives. Cleopas and his companion accepted the gentle rebuke that Jesus made. How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Perhaps the key word is all. It wasn't that they hadn't read the prophets of old, but perhaps they'd read the scriptures selectively, concentrating on those parts 
that spoke of a triumphant Messiah who would be kind to his enemies and be victorious. The passages that spoke of a suffering servant didn't fit in to their expectation of the Messiah. And so they perhaps tended to skip over them. When they had been given the exposition from the scriptures, they reacted positively. And in fact, they wanted even more. Which led them to the third point, the heart-burning experience. Their two-hour journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus must have seemed like five minutes, being so wrapped up in this absorbing conversation with the Lord they hadn't yet recognised. Luke informs us, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. Jesus is forever gentle. He won't force himself if he's not really wanted. He awaited their invitation to come in. God gave us the greatest and at the same time the most perilous gift in the world, the gift of free will. And we can use it to invite Christ into our hearts or allow him to pass on. In the vision of the book of the Revelation, we find his words. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open it, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. You'll have heard of it before, but there's a famous painting of this scene by William Holman Hunt of Jesus knocking at a door, but there's no door handle. Actually, there is but it's on the inside. This is very much the situation in the Emmaus story. We're told that Jesus acted as if he was going further. I think it was a test to see if the disciples had more appetite for the things of God. They did. We're told they urged Jesus strongly, stay with us. That's the sort of invitation Jesus can't resist. He went in to stay with them. The bread is on the table and the moment for Jesus' disclosure has come. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. It was the action of the breaking of bread. They saw his hands. They were different from when he had broken bread at the feeding of the 5,000 and at the Last Supper. They were the nail-pierced hands of the crucified and now risen Jesus. In an instant, they knew him. And in an instant, he's gone. Why did Jesus have to disappear? Couldn't he have stayed longer? He could, but he didn't because it's all part of the unfolding story of his last days on earth. How to manage without his bodily presence from now. Exactly the same as we have to do some 2,000 years later. But he is with us by his spirit. He is with us as we meet with him in worship and in obedience to his command as we remember him in the breaking of bread. I can imagine Cleopas and his friend 
standing in amazement, perhaps embracing in great joy, asking each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their world had come together again. That heart-burning experience is something we all need. Are we still heartbreaking because we need to meet the risen Christ? Perhaps we're still in a heart-searching process. If so, let it continue, as it will surely lead to the heart-burning experience we all need. God deeply longs for each of us to walk with him in close fellowship so he can fulfill his plans for our lives. The Emmaus too, no doubt, had walked this way many times before. Yet this day would be different, for it was a time for a life-changing encounter with their Lord. He can draw near to us, too, at any time. The ways of God aren't always obvious, so we must be open to allow him to enlighten our understanding, to take us into a new level in our spiritual experience. Life need never be the same again. May it be our blessing this very day to receive of Christ again in the breaking of bread and the outpouring of wine. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit,